Thanks, guys. Feels good to be back in Bluffton. If I look familiar, he said it's because I was a Campus to Life director at pretty much most, uh, yeah, every school in the county for a while. And so if you saw me and were like, is that just a high school or middle school kid with a beard? Or like, is he, you know, who is he? No, I wondered the same thing often, but no, it's me, Stu. So it's good to be back. Like he said, I went away to Wheaton College to do grad school. I love debt and stress. And so I was like, hey, let's just keep piling more on. So it feels good to be back in Bluffton. My wife, our dog, and my son, and our son came in. He's four months old. He got his first trip to Coco China Buffet last night, which is a big treat. Susan gave him a hug, so he's like officially commissioned into Bluffton. Tried to get him to say General Sow's chicken as his first word, but it didn't work. But we're gonna key in here on my dog Berkeley for a couple minutes. If you kind of know me from being here in Bluffton, you know that Berkeley and I kind of had Maybe not the best of relationship throughout all of our years together, but Berkeley is, his breed is called a Vishla. And a Vishla is a hunting dog. And so after we got him, keyword after, we found out he was bred for two things. One, to just hunt nonstop and never, ever, ever get tired. And so this dog has literally ceaseless energy. It's what he was made to do. So for someone who's never had a dog, that can be a little stressful at times, especially like if you see the ripped up tissue box in the back behind him. Uh, so that was Berkeley. But then two, they were bred to hunt right by your side because Vishla, I guess often hunting dogs would kind of go too far away from you when they would hunt. And then when they fly a bird, they're too far away for you to take a shot. So Vishlas were bred to want to be right next to you while they're hunt. So he's this dog that has ceaseless energy and loves other people and other dogs. But anything that's not a person or a dog, he hates because that's what he was bred to do. He's a hunting dog, you know, by nature. So I honestly, genuinely believe that if you're a human, you're more safe breaking into my, in breaking into my home than if you were like a squirrel or a rabbit. Because uh, just the other day, I was working out of our basement on some school stuff, and I got a call, and my wife is like, I, I need you to come help right now, right now. And she had our son and the dogs, like, oh no, yo, what's wrong? She said, Berkeley, he, he, chased, he chased a bunny into a, into a net, and, and the bunny stuck, and he's trying to kill the bunny. And it's like, oh, oh no. So remember there, the, the bunny was freed from the net. He is safe, don't worry. But Berkeley is someone who viciously attacks anything that's different than him, but anything that's just like him, he loves. And I think if you've turned on the news at all in the past two or three years, you could see that people tend to be the same way. People tend to love anything that's exactly like themselves, but anything that's different, anything that looks different or believes differently or thinks differently or talks differently, we tend to kind of stay away from. And today, we're going to talk about a passage in a Bible about the, in the Bible, not a Bible, the Bible, about a group called the Pharisees. The Pharisees were a group of people who were just like Berkeley. They love all the people who are just like themselves, but anybody who's different, they viciously attack. And so the story is going to come from the book of Matthew. If you have your Bible, we'll give you a little time to flip there. Uh, it comes from Matthew 9, 9 through 13. We're going to take off here. You guys have been going through the book of Galatians with Steve, and we're going to kind of take off right from where Steve off, left off last week. Steve talked about the idea of living in faith and what does it look like to live with faith. And today, we're going to talk about the concept that living in faith means that we have to love all people, not just the people who are just like us, but we have to love everyone. So we're going to kind of just give a little context for this story here in Matthew. Matthew or Jesus has just started his ministry. So he's just going around kind of the area he grew up called the Sea of Galilee, and he's preaching that, hey, the, heaven, the kingdom of heaven is coming. 
and he's healing people. And so what's striking is right in this passage, Jesus has just performed five miracles. And the five miracles he's performed have been to people that no one ever thought the, you know, the son of God would go around. Because the Pharisees had set up the world in a way where anybody who looked, thought, acted, or behaved differently than them was completely pushed out of society. They were completely ostracized. And so the Pharisees hated everyone who was different, but Jesus came in and he was healing all the people that the Pharisees had pushed out. The very people that everyone was ignoring, Jesus was zeroing in on those people. And people didn't, they didn't know what to do with this. So we're going to take a look at this story, and you can see it's about a story about Matthew, the tax collector, but it's also written by a man named Matthew. So if you kind of put those things together, you can see that what we're reading here is a personal testimony. We're hearing the story of Matthew himself about how he met God and how his life was changed and how he came to follow Christ. So we're going to try to read this through Matthew's lens. So if you want to read along with me, I'll read it out loud. We're starting in verse 9. It says, As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. So to dive in on this story... Since it's a personal testimony, I think we need to try to see it through Matthew's eyes. So that's going to be our goal here. We're going to try to take a look through Matthew's eyes and then see what it looks like for us. So Matthew, as it says, is a tax collector. And if that tells you anything, it probably means he wasn't the most loved guy in society. You mean like imagine going to a 20-year high school reunion as a tax collector? People probably aren't going to love you. You know, they're like, how many people here are like, man, I am so passionate about paying my taxes. I just love giving my money away. You know, you, you, you kind of catch on because, you know, you always hear about tax fraud or tax evasion, but I've never heard of, like, tax generosity. You know, like, people who are like, you know what, I got my tax check back this year, but I just, I want to give it all back. You know, just go ahead and take it back, guys. Usually that's not how it goes. And I'm not saying anything negative about our tax system here, especially compared to what the tax system was set up like in first century Israel. Because how it would have been set up is the Caesar of Rome, so he was the emperor of all the area, he would have had a certain tax that he would have hired a tax collector to take out of anybody who came in or came out of this city. And so that was his job to, let's say, take 20% of everything people had as they came in and out of the city. But the power the tax collector had is they could charge anything they wanted over that 20%, and we don't know what the actual number is. We'll just say 20%. But they could charge anything over that 20% and then pocket the rest. It's like imagine the power that would give you over like bullies in high school. Like people who are like, you know, just were always nagging you through your whole life. And they come along and it's like, oh, hey, Johnny. I tell you what, the rates have really gone up today. They have really skyrocketed now that, now that you're here. You know, it, it gives you a lot of power. So what they would do is tax collectors would use that 
to manipulate the poor and powerless in the community because those people didn't have any power against what a tax collector might charge them. So they manipulated their job to steal money from the poor and powerless. So they were hated by everyone, especially the Pharisees. So the Pharisees pushed them out of society and said, hey, you do not belong in the people of God because of who you are and what you do, so get out of here. And so imagine you're Matthew, okay? You're a tax collector. You are one of the most hated people in your society, and you're sitting in this hub in a town called Capernaum. There's two major roads that roll through this area. And so all these people are coming in and out of Capernaum, and you're sitting there, and you're in the spot that you sit every day. And every day you've been hearing people walk by, and you've been slowly hearing conversations about a man named Jesus. And you hear people saying, dear Jesus, do you think he's really the son of God? I think he's the Messiah. Do you think he's the Messiah? And people are talking about this because they're talking about the miracles that he's done. They're saying, can you believe he went and touched a leper? No one would touch a leper. No one. Can you believe he went next to that man that's demon-possessed? He, he wasn't even afraid that he might catch the demon too. And so Matthew starts piecing this idea together that Jesus is a man who is for him. Jesus is a man that is for the outsiders. That's who Jesus is. And so he's piecing this idea together of who Jesus is. And then one day, Jesus just rolls along. And he sees him, and there's this huge crowd of people. And out of all the crowd, as Jesus is walking up, he walks up to you, and he says, follow me. And to say, follow me, means I want to teach you. I want you to follow me, and I want to teach you everything I know. It means I see something inside of you, and I think you can help me change the world. So follow me, I'm going to teach you everything I know, and I want you to go off and teach other people that. And can you imagine what that would have been like to have been Matthew? You know, one of the most hated people in society. And for him to choose you? Why would he choose you? The very man who should be showing you judgment is coming along and showing you mercy and love. And so suddenly your heart like overflows with something you haven't felt in years. You know, it's love and it's peace and it's mercy. And so, so you, you just do what he says and you follow him and you get up and you run and you go get all your friends. And your friends are people just like you. They're tax collectors and sinners, which means they're thieves and prostitutes and gamblers and the worst of the worst in this society. All the people that the Pharisees have pushed away and you bring them into your home and you throw a huge party because you want those people, your friends, to meet the man who just changed your life the man who showed you love and mercy, and you want them to find the same type of mercy that you just found, so you throw this big party. And in the midst of that, along come the Pharisees, the people who have always been pushing you down your entire life, and they're always looking for a reason to criticize Jesus, and they think they found it here. They think, man, look at this crowd that Jesus is hanging out with. There is no way he is the son of God. We'll catch him here. And so they kind of, you know, so they start ragging on Jesus to his disciples and start saying, can you believe this bunch that he's hanging out with? He's, he's the guy you're following and he's hanging out with these people? Are you kidding me? And so that's what he's doing. And then Jesus responds. And I love this response. He says, those who are well have no need of a physician. Jesus is comparing himself to a doctor and he's saying, I'm someone who came here to heal the sick and I came to rescue those who need rescued. And he's saying, what good is a doctor if that doctor's afraid to go be around sick people? You know, if a doctor was afraid to go be around sick people, they would be worthless. They wouldn't be doing what they were made to do. And he's saying, that's not me. I came to rescue the sick and to heal. 
And then he tells them, go and learn what this means, which I love that he says that because the Pharisees, he tells them, go and learn what this means. And they were people who prided themselves on one thing, being able to know the Old Testament. And so they were people who taught the Old Testament. And so he tells people who are trained to teach, go and learn. So he's catching them off guard. He tells them, go and learn what this means. And he quotes an Old Testament passage. And he says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. So we want to just focus in on that passage here real quick. It's from the book of Hosea. It's in Hosea 6.6. And the book of Hosea is essentially the story of God's love and concern for his people despite their ignorance of him. So throughout the whole book of Hosea, Hosea is writing to the people saying, do you remember when God did this for you? Do you remember when God did this for you? Do you remember this? And he's telling them, God has been so, so faithful to you all throughout your lives, but you guys continue to ignore him. And then he tells them this. He says, for I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And so what that tells us is that the Israelites had broken down their relationship with God to just sacrifice and not mercy. They had gotten so stuck on following the rules that they forgot to love. They forgot to love God and they forgot to love people. So we're going to talk about the idea of sacrifice and the idea of mercy here just really quick. So sacrifice, if you look at the Pentateuch, which is the fancy way of saying the first five books of the Bible that Moses wrote, 50% of those first five books talk about the idea of sacrifice and the different rituals that come along with it. So obviously we can't summarize all of that, but what that tells us is that sacrifice is unbelievably important. Because sacrifice in the Old Testament was a symbol of a devoted life to God. Because what you're doing when you sacrifice is you're giving away something that had deep value to you because you knew that it mattered to God, that he cared more, that we care more about God than these things. And so sacrifice at its best is an expression of obedience. We would give away something that meant to us out of obedience to God. And that's what it is at its best. But at its worst, it was something that Israel relied on in replace for a genuine relationship with God. The Israelites thought that, hey, if we just follow these rules, if we do all these things, you know, we'll be set. And then God will love us, and that's what our relationship with him means. And they got so focused on following the rules that they forgot to love God. They forgot about mercy. Mercy is what God said he desires. He, I desire mercy most. Mercy in Hosea, so the Hebrew word for it, the translated word is chased. So if you say chased, make sure you don't look at your neighbor and chased all over them. But chased is kind of like a combination of two things. It's like a coin that has two sides. And on the one side, it's often translated as the word steadfast love because it means faithfulness to God. And it means, God, I love you so much because of what you've done for me that I'm going to do everything I can to follow you. That's the one hand, faithfulness to God. And on the other hand, it's mercy to others. And it's saying to God that, God, because I love you, I'm going to love the people that you created, all the people. And I'm going to show mercy to them even when it's really hard to do. And when we separate our religious acts and our love for people, we're not living a life as God intended. Because said tells us that the two things are supposed to go together, love for others and devotion for God. And so what Jesus is saying in this passage, when he quotes this to the Pharisees, he's saying that true love for God is made evident in our love for people. He tells them that if you truly love me, 
then you will love my people. But that is exactly what the Pharisees lacked. The Pharisees had gotten so stuck on following the rules and going through the motions and making sure they didn't mess up that they forgot to actually love people. And Jesus is reminding them that. They were so good at loving the people who were just like them, but they were terrible at loving people that looked differently than them. And so Jesus is saying, hey, you guys don't get it. You don't understand what it's all about. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. You're focused on sacrifice, but you forget to have mercy for people. And he says, I came not to call the righteous, but to call sinners. Because he didn't come to say a good job to the people who were following the rules. He came to rescue the people who need mercy. And Matthew, Matthew gets this. Because Matthew is a guy who knows how amazing it feels to have received mercy. Because Matthew's life just a few verses ago was radically changed by one man who decided to come along and show him mercy. And the very fact that Matthew writes this shows that Christians, as a whole, can sometimes tend to forget that Jesus came for them. A lot of times it's easy to remember that Jesus came for us, the ones on the inside, but it's a, it's, sometimes it's hard to remember that he came for them. And when we forget this, we turn into the Pharisees. And I think that Life Church does an amazing job at this. As Caleb said earlier, the vision of Life Church is to be a church for the city. And I love that because it shows that Life Church is to be a place that is centered on mercy for others. Because that's what Jesus did. Jesus came to be a man for the city. He didn't come to just be a man for the church, you know, just the Pharisees, just the people who knew the rules and followed the rules. He came to be a man for everyone. And he showed mercy to everyone. And so what happens is when we forget this, we ourselves can turn into the Pharisees. Because the Pharisees, like I said, hated everyone who was different, but they loved the people just like themselves. Because we naturally as humans tend to do this. You know, we tend to separate ourselves from anybody who's different. And I think the movie Mean Girls nailed this. If, if you look at like how our like, this is built into our like core nature. For the movie Mean Girls, it shows the lunchroom. And even if you haven't seen Mean Girls, just think back to your high school experience of in the lunchroom, everybody sits by people who are exactly like themselves. You know, they don't really sit with anybody who's different. They sit with people who are just like themselves. And that's just like, that's kind of what we do. We're naturally drawn to do that. But the truth is, is what Jesus is telling us here, is that we are called to be set apart from the world, but we're not called to be segregated from the world. So to break that down, I think we're called to be set apart from the world in what and how we worship. You know, we as Christians are supposed to be people who worship God while the rest of the world is worshiping their income. You know, that's what matters most to them. Or what matters most to us is God, while other people worship how they look in the mirror. You know, and this is kind of the grand fight of being a Christian. You know, the idea of like trying to worship God most when there's so much else that the world has to offer. And as long as we live on earth, we're going to fight with that. You know, this is going to be a struggle no matter what. But what marks a Christian is someone who works to get away from worshiping the things in the world and worships God above all else and puts that as the top priority in our lives. Because that's what a Christian is called to do. And we're called to be set apart in how we do that. But the problem is, is we're not called to be segregated from the world. And the Pharisees were people who segregated themselves from the world. And when we do this, we tend to avoid people because they talk, act, think, vote, or believe differently than we do. 
That's what it looks like when we segregate ourselves from the world. And the Pharisees did this, and they said, hey, because you think this, because you talk like this, because you believe this, because you vote this way, you don't belong in the people of God. We're the people of God. You guys, you guys can't get in. That's what the Pharisees did. And Matthew is writing this because he didn't want us to become like the Pharisees. And he writes this because Christians are people who are supposed to live like Christ. The word Christian actually means little Christ or, you know, one who is like Christ. So it means that if we're going to live like Christians, we have to love as Jesus loved, which means we have to love everyone, especially when they're different than us. But that's hard to do. But that's what a life of faith should lead us to, because Jesus's mission was always to save sinners, always. And Jesus's mission is our mission too. It's not our job to save other people, only Jesus can save, but it's our job to tell about the love that saved us. And that's our job within this world. And Matthew is writing us to make sure that his followers don't get too focused on the rules. Because I think we as Christians can even tend to do that too. We can tend to get too focused, like the Pharisees did on sacrifice, we can get too focused on, hey, going to church, praying before meals, I'm going to listen to Hillsong on my way to work this morning. I'm going to do a Devo, you know, before I get up. And all those are great things. But if we minimize our relationship with God to those things and not on loving others, we're totally missing the mark of what Jesus is telling us to do in this passage. Because the mark of a follower of Christ is someone who loves people. And I think as a whole, Christians sometimes do a really, really good job at this but sometimes we do a poor job. And I think an example that comes to mind for me of when I, when I saw this done in a poor job is I have a friend who is a homosexual. Okay, he's a man who's attracted to other men and he had Christian friends, you know, and he was kind of thinking about coming out and telling other people, you know, how, how he felt inside. And so he came out and he told his Christian friends and he told me, Stu, the most lonely I've ever felt in my entire life is when I told my Christian friends that I was gay. Because what happened is they stopped loving him because he was different. And I'm not saying that as Christians we need to believe what other people believe or accept the way that they believe, but I'm saying that what Jesus calls us to do is love people exactly how they are. Because that's what Jesus did. When he came to earth, when he hung out with all these tax collectors and sinners at this meal, he wasn't standing up and protesting their sin or staying away from them because they believed differently than him. He was loving them in the midst of their sin and for exactly who they are. And I think of an example of where I saw this done really well was when I was a campus life director in the lunchroom, there was a student who sat by himself at a table. There were eight seats at this table and he sat by himself every single day. And so when I would go into the lunchroom, I'd walk up and I'd talk to him and you know, we'd hang out, we'd play a game on his iPad, and had fun. But, and he started to get plugged into campus life and he started to attend and he started to hear that Jesus was the kind of person who loved him and especially loved him. But it didn't mean all that much to him until one day I went to lunch and he was sitting with a, with a big group of students that went to campus life. He wasn't sitting on his own anymore. He said, hey, what happened? Like, how'd you get over there? And he said, you'd never believe what happened. He said, they came up and one of those guys said, hey, what are you doing sitting alone? Come sit with us. And he told me, Stu, you have no idea how much that changed my life. Because someone showed him mercy. They put words, or they put action to the words of Jesus in the Bible. They went and showed mercy to someone who was different than them. 
And that is what we are called to do as Christians. That's the very core of who we are. But the thing is, is that's really hard to do. And that's why we have to be reminded to do it in this passage. Because it's hard to love people who are different than us. And also when we do it, we're going to look pretty weird. Because Steve talked about this last week. He said, if we are people who have faith, and if we live in faith, it's going to look different than the rest of the world. And I think this is so true because when you look at the Pharisees, they attacked Jesus for the way that he loved people. They criticized him for it. And so I think we as Christians have to expect criticism as we love people as Jesus loved. And I think, again, Life Church does an amazing job at this. Life Church, at its core, has always been a church who shows mercy to others. The core of the mission is to love people who maybe feel like they can't be loved. But I think what we all need to ask ourselves today is what can I do to help Life Church be seen as a center of mercy? You know, what role can we play in helping Life Church be seen by the whole community, by the city? If we're going to be a church for the city, we, each and every one of us has to be a person who helps, helps the church be a place of mercy. And I think if Matthew was in here today, if we could put him on a panel and ask him, Matthew, what do you think we can do? How can we do this? I think he would just respond with a question. I think he would say, when is the last time that you ate with someone who needs Jesus? Because that's what changed his life. One man invited him to have a meal, even though he was different than him, and it changed his life. And I think that's what we're called to do. We're called to love people even though they look different than us. Even though they believe and act and think and vote differently than us, we need to love them for who they are and exactly where they're at. Because if we don't do that, we're no different than the Pharisees. And when Jesus loved this way, he didn't just love people by telling them that he loved them. He loved them in action. He joined them. He healed them. He went and spent time with them. Because it's easy for us to tell somebody that we love them, but we all know it's a hundred times harder to actually show it and actually live out on that. So to wrap up, I just want to say two things, just kind of two overall summarizing points. The first one is the thing I've repeated over and over, but is the fact that God calls us to love as Jesus loved. And that means we need to love other people, especially when they're different than us. And the second thing is the fact that if you're someone that's here today and you feel like, maybe I don't fit in here, maybe you feel like an outsider here, know that you're the exact person that Jesus came to earth for. Because Jesus' life on earth was always a rescue mission. And Jesus came and he died just to show you how badly he wants a relationship with us. I'm going to pray, and then we'll bring the band back up for one more song. Lord, we thank you so much that you are a God of love and a God of mercy, a God who accepts us exactly where we are, even though we don't deserve it, Lord. I pray that you help us in here to be people who can work to make Life Church a place of mercy. Bring people before us that we can share your love with and inspire us to know your love to, in a whole new way, God. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen.